playing chess, not checkers, right? You're doing things, you're making moves that may not appear to be the next most logical move for you. But if you have an ideal end state in mind of where you're trying to go, what you're trying to accomplish, those moves to you make sense and they end up, those gambles end up paying off in a big way a lot of times. Want to boost your productivity and decision making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, Lead the Team Nation. Wow, hang on to your hats today. You got a great one in store for you today with Dan Watts, is Chief Operating Officer at Segra. Headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina, Segra is actually one of the largest fiber infrastructure providers in the U.S., delivering security, cloud, data, voice, and connectivity services to commercial enterprises and carrier customers. As COO, Dan leads Segra's service delivery network operations, security operations, customer service, outside plant and field operations organizations. Preceding his role as as COO, Dan served as Segra's Vice President of Product and Business Development with oversight for company-wide product strategy and business development. Prior to joining Segra, Dan was president of TSA Choice, an IT-managed service provider headquartered over in Asheville, North Carolina, and he started his telecom career at U.S. LEC Windstream, where he served in a variety of positions in both operations and sales, starting as an entry-level technician, which we get into in this interview. He now actually leverages this deep cross-functional experience to lead and scale technology companies in fast-paced, high-growth environments. Dan's focus on market strategy, product innovation, and operational excellence combined with his passion for business gives him a unique insight into organizations and how they're shaped into industry leaders. Dan is a veteran of the United States Army, graduated summa cum laude with a bachelor's of science and psychology, and has an MBA from the Haslam School of Business at the University of Tennessee. In his downtime, Dan loves to travel as a fitness enthusiast, and we get into that in this interview. Enjoy. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ben. Glad to be here. Oh, I've been looking forward to this one, Dan. So let's kick this thing off. What was your first job and how does it influence your leadership today? Well, that's an interesting question. My, my actual first job uh, was in the military. So they, they, at the time, and I, I don't know if this program still even exists, but at the time they had a uh, program called the split option program where you could hmm. do boot camp between your junior and senior year in high school. So uh, I somehow convinced my parents to sign the waiver. Wow. I went off and so did you're that. you're 16, 17 years old? Seven, I was 17. 17. Uh, between, everybody else was having summer, and I was having uh, drill sergeants yelling at me. And so I went to boot camp between my junior and senior year in high school. So my first job, literally my first job was uh, as a soldier in the reserves, and I did that for my senior year. After mm-hmm. I graduated, I applied for active duty, uh, served in the military. But my, my first job in our space, in telecom, uh, was pretty much it was, it was an int- the most entry-level job that you can get as a, a kind of a call center technician, um, mm. straight out of the military. Wow. Well, first of all, I think I was lifeguarding that year. <laughs> and, uh, 
back in high school for me. And there you are. I mean, what an amazing experience though to get as a, as a young person. I mean, how, how did that shape you and how you view the world? It, it, you know, uh, I was very eager to do it, but it was quite a shocking experience to actually, um, get there and, and feel that in practice. It's, it's like, I, I tell my daughter, I, I'm so glad that I've, I, that I was able to take advantage of that program. I was so, uh, privileged to serve. However, I wouldn't want her to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> Why is that? What's the, what's the distinction? 17 is a bit young. I, I didn't shave once uh, the entire time I was in boot camp. 17 <laughs> is wow. a bit young to go in the military, but it was a great program. I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I grew up fairly quickly that summer. Uh, you know, I was, uh, as most 17 year old boys are, I was fairly immature. I uh, learned a lot about accountability, personal accountability, ownership, making sure that you do the right things at the right time, uh, being on time, all of the, all of the basic tenets of, of good characteristics that you need to be successful in business or the same in the military, uh, amplified. So, you know, I, it did, did give me a great start, um, you know, combined with a kind of a, a family history of, of strong work ethic. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that helped me kind of shape the first few years of my career. Yeah. I mean, I bet because, because when you came back that summer, you still had to do your senior year of high school, right? That's right. Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, I mean, and, you know, great. The great news there is I had a, a you know, what felt like a, a, a lot of money paycheck, $200 a month or whatever it was from the reserves as a senior. So, but yeah, it, uh, wow. yeah, I still had a, a, a year of high school to do. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I bet your fellow seniors were looking at you like, what is Dan? Like you probably came back just like, I don't know, like focused, determined. And you're like, man, school's a piece of cake compared to boot camp. Yeah, school felt okay after that. <laughs> it, yeah, that is uh, a nice break. Yeah, it, it wasn't <clears throat> it wasn't bad. Um, you know, and I gained probably. I grew a lot that summer. I gained a lot of weight, so I came back kind of a reshaped person for sure. Oh yeah, they're feeding you like crazy, and they're just kicking yeah. your butt right every which way: push ups, pull ups, everything. Right? Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty much. Yeah, a couple running. of months of that. So yeah, yeah. Wow. Things for you. Well, so but I'll check out your LinkedIn profile, and what you just mentioned is really interesting too for people to hear is that. You know, you, you came out as a technician. I mean, you came out, like you say, military service. You, you started a very, like, in the field, not in the ivory tower. You weren't getting, like, you know, just promoted rapidly, like, instantly in the, you know, at the top. And here you are a COO today. Uh, looking back over that time, uh, what's a piece of advice that you'd give your younger self back in the day? Or say you run into somebody, it's like, you know what, I want to be a CEO or a COO, but I don't really see a, you know, a direct path to get there. That's a great question. And, you know, I, I wish that I could tell you that I had the foresight at, uh, I came out of the military at, uh, I think, 23. I wish I could tell you that I had the foresight mm-hmm. to have mapped out a career and that was ambitious enough to want to be in the C-suite at 23. Unfortunately, I had not. And at the time, I really leaned on the fact that I felt like I could just outwork everybody. I felt like if I came to work and I did a good job and I was a good teammate and I showed up on time and did the right things and did my fair share or more of the work Mm -hmm. that I would get promoted. And so my view on in my early career was very linear. So if I do these things Mm -hmm. and it's just like the military, if I do these things, then I'll get the next promotion or the next step. And I, and I approached it that way for the first several years of my career. So I went from 
technician to kind of supervise team lead to supervisor, to manager to senior manager in a very linear fashion in the same group within the organization. Mm-hmm. What I wish I'd have done and what I did later in my career that was really kind of a pivotal moment for me was step back, detach a bit and start to think about what I wanted to accomplish, not in next, not next week or the next, you know, four weeks or the next three months, but mm-hmm. the next five years. And then I started to develop out goals and game plans around one year, five year, 10 year targets. Once I did that, um, my career really started to reshape because I started to make decisions in a vastly different way. I call it playing chess, not checkers, right? You're doing things, you're making moves that may not appear to be the next most logical move for you. But if you have an ideal end state in mind of where you're trying to go, what you're trying to accomplish, those moves to you make sense. And they end up, those gambles end up paying off in a big way a lot of times. All right, listeners, definitely mark that quote from down here. Play chess, not checkers. I love that because chess is the long game. And checkers is about finishing, jumping, getting your people kinged, and then just attacking the board. Whereas, I mean, chess is about, like you say, seeing the long term, but it's also about sacrifice. Like I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to do this job or I'm willing to do this because it's going to help me get to where I want to go, or I'm willing to play this move that maybe a lot of people think is the wrong move. They're like, well, you know, why would you go do that? And you're like, Hey, if it's going to help me get to where I want to go, then it all makes sense. And I think, but taking one step back, you can't play chess effectively unless you thought about five years out, just like you said, I mean, when you know five years out, you know, it's much easier to do that. Now, when you, when you think about your five-year plan, uh, how do you go through that process of thinking about it? Like what's your, what sort of your revisioning process for that? I mean, you have to, to me, you have to start with the ideal end state. So it's, you know, what, where am I trying to go in my career? What, what things interest me? What do I consider? I think success is uh, a variable for people. You know, everyone views success slightly differently. So what does success look like for me? What am I trying to accomplish? Where am I trying to go in my career? And then what steps do I need to take to get there? And, and what that looked like for me and what I, how I kind of coach others when they've asked that question is mm-hmm. you need to understand where your gaps are. So you know, every, it's easy to understand your strengths, but in order to, to gain uh, ground on making progress towards your goal, what are the gaps that you need to fill and what, what uh, work do you need to do to go and address those gaps so that you can mar- make your way toward that target. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. If you don't, it, just like in chess, you're like, how, how can I play with the, with the hand that I've been dealt, but also start to fill in the gaps there. And it might be different moves you got to make to go learn something new or get mentorship from somebody, uh, that may be in an area. Um, what, what's an area, uh, when you thought about that process for yourself, um, that, that you identified as a gap that you uh, went out and, uh, and, and filled. I've done it. You know, I've been playing this, uh, I guess, game of chess for many years now. Uh, and early in my career, you know, one of the most pivotal moves and you, you kind of touched on it a minute ago, Ben, it's moves that do not seem obvious to others, but make perfect sense to you. It may not, it may seem like you're giving ground to gain ground. And the first one of those that I, that I made, uh, well, I was a, in a senior management position, uh, in, uh, the operation side of the business and had determined at that point 
that I wanted to make my way toward an executive position in the industry. And in order to do that, I understood that I had to kind of extend the depth and breadth of my knowledge across multiple business units, Mm -hmm. cross-functionally in a way that didn't exist because I was very siloed in the kind of, in what I knew about our industry. So I went and went and applied for a sales job, uh, which for, for a kid that started in operations and had made, uh, you know, uh, kind of the, the, Mm-hmm. your way up the food chain in the operation side, that doesn't make a ton of sense to a lot of people. Uh, and I had a tremendous amount of pushback uh, and, and for the right reasons, they hated to see me go. And it, you know, we, we had a really good team, but I received a tremendous amount of pushback from my leadership about making that move. And, and a lot of, uh, you know, very passionate pleas to stay, but I was pretty tenacious about my fact that I wanted to move into sales. So I, I moved out of a senior manager role into a mm-hmm. direct contributor role in the sales world so that I could start to learn that area of the business, what that looks like, how I could, you know, help my teammates and help our customers better by learning that. And then fortunately enough for me, I applied the same kind of uh, ideas that I use to, to make progress in operations to sales, uh, hard work, you know, all the things that you do mm-hmm. and, and, and found my way back to a, a director level position there uh, in, you know, in pretty short order. So it was a very, very fortunate move for me. Uh, to make that change. Yeah. Congratulations on that. I, I, I had a moment too, where I, I, I went into sales, despite people that said, say I, sh- I should be focused other places. And it really, it gave me such a great foundation to do other things, even in my business today uh, from that sales experience. And it pushed me, it was very humbling. And sometimes, and you probably can relate to this in that, especially when you had success in one realm, it does humble you to go to an area where you're not the expert immediately. People aren't coming to you. You're going to other people and you're like, Hey, can't, you know, I have this customer request. How do I approach this? And, yeah. it, uh, it, it's a lot of growth there. Yeah. Ta- I mean, it takes a degree of humility to be able to do that. You need, you yeah. need to let the ego go. You need to step back, detach, touch. But again, I think that's where real growth occurs when you make big changes and they stretch you that's when you're growing. And that's the way I looked at yeah. that, that opportunity to move into sales and to learn something new is, is a big growth opportunity. And, you know, and you ask, you ask a minute ago about the things that you do, how do you, you know, how do you address some of your gaps as you make your way toward your strategic goals? You know, the way that you have to be very honest with yourself about where you have areas of improvement. Uh, you know, that was one early in my career, later in my career, you know, uh, I decided to go back to school for an MBA because I felt like, you know, I had run a, uh, a company before. Um, I had, uh, you know, a lot of experience cross-functionally in our industry, but I personally felt like I needed to square up some gaps that existed in my financial acumen and uh, in, in several other areas. And I felt like the best, most expeditious way to do that was to go back to school. Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I took that step to address some gaps that I felt like I had in, in my personal portfolio. And again, that requires a great deal of honesty with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself about what those are. before. That's you exactly where my mind was going. I mean, it takes the humility as a leader to say, Hey, even though I'm leading these people, I'm in charge of a big P and L I'm not done growing. And if I want to get to my five-year goal, I've got to question the assumptions that I'm the master of this domain. And I've got to understand what I need to learn. I think a lot of people, first of all, will they don't know what they don't know. So they aren't evaluating themselves uh, versus the market versus where things are going versus other parts of the business. And so I encourage all the leaders listening today, 
you know, Dan's got some great insights here on taking that honest appraisal of your own skills and the direction you want to go in and then stepping into places that are uncomfortable. I mean, it's going back to MBA school, you're in there with people who are probably, you know, financial whizzes in some ways and other, you know, they have other strengths and you're not scoring as high as they are. They don't report to you. They're giving you more strategic straight talk, which is not always comfortable. You're like, you can, can you talk to me like that? And you're like, yeah, this is your MBA program. I'm not some, you know, somebody reporting to you. And so it's a really humbling experience. Now let's fast forward this conversation a little bit because I want to make sure that we get some time to talk about the catastrophic cost of turnover. Y'all, we were, uh, Dan and I were talking a little bit about this before. So we work with companies around the catastrophic cost of turnover a lot. That can be over $235,000 per year per employee. And my question is today, do you think this, this cost of turnover in the environment we're in today is something that organizations should be tracking and why? Well, I, I absolutely do think that organizations should be tracking it. Um, but, you know, I, I do want to, I'll take a step back and, you know, I think turnover can have a negative label uh, if, if you think about it that way. Um, but not all turnover is bad. Uh, where, where I think we need to track uh, is the turnover that is the, the, the undesired turnover in the organization. So, and I'll frame that up a little bit. There's, there's turnover for, of employees that work for you that you hate to see leave. Uh, they do phenomenal work. They have found what they think is a greener pasture opportunity somewhere else. They take that, that opportunity and they move, move away. And, uh, you know, I've heard, I've heard that statistic before. It's, I think it's, you know, quarter million dollars per employee to retrain all of the soft costs that are associated with that and the cultural costs that are associated with losing good teammates is hugely impactful to organizations. And then there's turnover that maybe isn't so bad uh, with employees that are just exiting because they're not in the right spot in their career or they're not in the right spot in their industry. And then there's turnover where you have employees that exit the business for mm -hmm. an opportunity that maybe doesn't exist in your company. And we should celebrate that. So I, I want to be careful to say, yeah, 1000% I agree with you. We should track turnover. Uh, not all turnover is bad. And I think we should really focus on celebrating where our company has enabled someone to go take a position, even if it's somewhere else that helps them advance toward their strategic goal. Uh, so but to do that, you have to track the turnover. You have to understand that cost. You have to budget for it. Get a simple tool to approximate your cost of turnover in 10 seconds or less. Right now, go to benfanning.com slash turnover. Did you know the average cost of turnover is $235,975 per employee per year? If you're like most leaders, you don't know your number. Go to benfanning.com slash turnover right now and download this simple tool to start getting a handle on this catastrophic cost. Such a great distinction there. And you're right. I mean, the all, not all turnover is bad. And by tracking it at the right levels, you can really understand, Hey, was this, is this turnover negatively affecting our business or is it part of the legacy in, in, in our own company or team's five year, five year vision where you know, maybe we bring people in we develop them and we keep them as long as we can. But if we develop them to the point where, you know, they're ready to fly the nest and we don't have a role and we can't create one, then we're facilitating, you know, positive career growth for them, which you may lose one person, but that may allow you to attract good people. Cause I bet Dan, when they're interviewing with you, you're like, Hey, yeah, you come into this role, you know, you stay for five years, we develop you. 
And uh, this person, you know, got promoted inside this company, inside our company, maybe these two people, they're able to go take bigger positions at other companies. And I mean, I bet you get great talent that way. That, that's right. And it's something that I'm personally very passionate about because it's back to, to my origin story of how I entered into this industry is someone took a chance on me when I was a kid. Uh, mm. And I think that we should work to enable programs. And at Segra, we are working to enable programs that lower the barrier of entry uh, for, you know, our, an entry level position into our organization so that we can open that aperture up a bit and take folks in, train them here, give them a start in our industry and in our space, allow them to start to grow, have a career ladder at Segra. And if that grows beyond us, great, then we've impacted the industry in a positive way. So it's, uh, you know, those types of programs, I think, do a lot for, for, for not only those individuals, but for our industry on the whole. So it sounds like you guys are really investing in the onboarding process and the early training phases for employees. Is that it's a key right? focal area for us. That's right. You know, we, it's, it's an area where you get a lot of feedback from your new employees with uh, good and bad experiences. It's an area where we want to continue to improve that experience as we think about our internal, you know, our mm -hmm. EMPS and how that relates to our, our customer MPS. Um, but we want to, we want to make sure as we're welcoming new teammates, that it's a terrific experience. And not only that, we want to welcome teammates that, you know, what I see a lot, at least in over my years in hiring People look for the ideal candidate. They, they want your resume to look a very specific way. Mm -hmm, if it mm -hmm. doesn't, then they won't hire you. And what that does is it causes a kind of regurgitation of talent in an industry, especially an industry that's smallish mm -hmm. like telecommunications, where it's the same folks that get turned over again and again through different organizations. By, by changing the way that you view uh, the good characteristics of a new teammate, so hard work, intelligence, you know, long runway, <clears throat> are you uh, willing to come in and, and learn? Mm -hmm, then you can mm -hmm. open that, you can open that talent pool up in a much broader way without having to search for such specific criteria to entry, if that makes sense. Yeah. I love that. So you're, you're hiring more on, you're kind of like, like playing chess again, you know, you're not trying to get the immediate, a perfect fit for the role because they may not be out there in the first place, maybe wasting your time. But if you've got a great development program, you're looking for more people, maybe that are continuous learners. Maybe they've, maybe they've, you've identified someone that's been able to work in a couple industries and should have success. So if you put them through your acceleration program, maybe you'll be able to get them, you know, to where they need to be. I mean, that's a well, well said. It could be, it could be a young entrant into the industry. It could be a mid career someone who wants to change and do something new and fresh, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's all over the map, but it opens up opportunity. And that's what we're very excited about trying to create here. When's the time you had unexpected twist or failure in your career and how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road, Dan? Ben, you know, I, I, I'm, I view failure in a little bit of a peculiar way. So I think what some people would view as a failure I don't view it that way at all. I view it as a lesson learned and I, and I, I am mm -hmm. literally geared that way. So I don't measure failures or lament my failures in the way that some others may. I look at them as, you know, what did I learn out of that experience? What did I learn from that opportunity? Uh, how can I use that to, to better myself and to, or better my environment uh, or, or my, you know, uh, work environment? And what can we learn as we move forward? So I don't, I don't think about failures as that in that way, but but I, I would say that my biggest failures are probably the chances that I didn't take early on in my career when I was playing checkers, not chess, uh, that cost you really untold um, amounts of future potential opportunity. And I don't know what that is, 
but those are my biggest failures. It's the, it's the strategic chances that I did the bets that I didn't place when I was young. And I could have when I was thinking in a very linear way. So like, yeah, I can't take a new role because it's going to set me back or I've got to go to a different company and it's going to lower level or some, some fear of change internally has caused me to pause and not move forward on an opportunity that could be a game changer for me or my family or the organization. Those, those are the failures that are hard to measure. Yeah. What I like about that, that, that response says a lot about you because those are things you can control. Yeah. Right. Versus something happened to me. That's a choice, a decision that I did not make at the time that I wish I had. And so, uh, yeah. And how you're using that today to inform your decision-making, you know, really focusing on what you can control. And, and I think as a leader, it's so easy to get overwhelmed with what's going on externally, but when we bring it back to ourselves and we focus on what we can do and what our teams can do, it makes things more manageable and a lot less stressful. And ultimately, I mean, hell, it's a lot more productive that way. Yeah. Try to take the big problems and chunk them apart into digestible pieces and, and you move forward one step at a time. Uh, and I think, you know, that's the way you handle any big problem, uh, whether that's leading teams, leading your own life, you know, being part of a family, uh, you know, that's all, all how you handle all of those types of situations for sure. What are three success strategies that all employees need to understand? You know, that that's a great question. Uh, I would say for me, um, taking ownership of the situation, we've alluded to that in a couple of different, uh, conversation topics here, but in the end, you know, there's no need to think about, uh, areas that are outside of your control. And if you're in a situation, you find yourself in a situation, you have to figure out what you can do to address that situation, regardless of how you got there. So ownership of that ownership of your environment, it's easy to blame others. It's easy to pass task in a business. You know, that's not my, that's not my problem. That's somebody else's problem. When in the end it affects your customer. So taking ownership, not only does that create great uh, bonds with your teammates because they see you doing that and they appreciate the fact that you're leaning in to help in areas that may not even be your, your area of responsibility, but it it drives, it drives growth in, in your personal career as you take ownership of issues. So that's one, I think. Um, creating value for your organization is extraordinarily important for someone as they're looking to, to grow their career in terms of a strategy. If you are in a position, if you can find yourself in a position or place yourself in a position, your organization where you're helping to bring value to the company, whether that's driving revenue or helping cut cost or, you know, making it a great culture for your teammates, then you're in a valuable position. That's going to, that's going to benefit you and the organization. And then lastly, I would say the, the continual ability to learn, the, the desire to learn, the continual learning, and the ability to embrace change. If you can do those three things, if you can own your environment, if you can create value for your company, if you can uh, embrace continual learning and embrace change, I think the sky's the limit for pretty much anyone. Yeah, I like that. And embracing change, it really, you know, change, change can really suck. <laughs> for people, yeah. especially when you've achieved so much in your career, like, man, I'm here. And then the ball moves. And I mean, you're in technology, you're in telecom. I mean, goodness gracious, right? Everything's changing. So it's just a matter of, it's like getting comfortable with that, embracing it and, and using what's happening in your environment to fuel your success 
in the, in the, in the direction that you want to go in. Now, a lot of the listeners love, you know, feedback on books, music, podcasts that C-suite leaders are into. Uh, what recommendations do you have? Well, you know, I, uh, that's a good question. And I love to read. So it's, it's hard for me to place a priority on books, uh, one over another, because I, you, again, you can learn something from any of mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll, I'll just give you the last few that are in my playlist. Uh, I audio book a lot when I exercise oh, yeah. and I'm a exercise fanatic. So it's, there's a lot of books that get consumed this way, but the last few, uh, in my playlist, well, I'll start with one of my favorites, extreme ownership. I think is uh, a term, a term, Jocko, right? book. yeah, Jocko. I'm a big Jocko fan. His podcast is great. Uh, extreme ownership is a phenomenal book, uh, that, that really has a lot of tremendous insight in it. So that's probably my favorite, one of my favorite business books, but the yeah, last few on, in my playlist, build, build on that? Jocko for a second. Yeah. yeah. Have you checked out his children's books? He, he's got a children's book. He's, he's got a Way novel now. I mean, he's, yeah, he's branching out everywhere, isn't he? I mean, we, we actually have, I think he has two or three now. I know he has, I think we have at least two of them and so, so good, but he takes a lot of the core ideas from extreme ownership, which is not a children's book. And, yeah, uh, is, he mixes in some amazing stories of like the battle of Ramadi and a lot of, you know, wartime, uh, examples. And, but in the way the warrior kid, he is uncle Jake, who's coming home to work with a fourth grader, uh, right. hang out with his fourth grade uh, nephew and teaches them things. And I was thinking about some of our, about your interview today, he talks about failure. And, and one of the things he talks about is either you either, you don't, you either, um, you win or you learn. That's so right. if you win, basically Jocko is saying, if you're winning, does winning for most people is a terrible teacher. But when you lose or it doesn't work out or fail, that's when where the deepest learning comes from. So anyway, I think you get yeah. you get a kick out of it because of that. Of that lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that book's great. Extreme ownership's great. Dichotomy of leadership was a follow-on book. There, I thought also was terrific um, from Jocko and Leif. Leif is a co-author. Um, Atomic Habits I read recently. Uh, very talking about system building and uh, you know Clear. it's interesting. Yeah, how you, how you can can apply some of those things to your life. Never split the difference was a very fascinating book uh, by a former FBI negotiator uh, that I never found split the difference. I'm not familiar yeah. with that one. Yeah, okay. That's a, that's that's a pretty good one. And then mindset. Those are the last few that I've I kind of clip I clip through you know one or two usually a month uh, while I'm running or exercising. My, or mindset is the Carol Dweck static right. mindset versus yep. growth mindset. That's correct. Yeah, that's right. You know that one. That's huge. Even if you don't read the book, just look up like the core idea of that book. I thought, I don't know Carol Dweck personally, but I thought she did a really nice job of like the whole book's interesting, but this just simple idea of how we think about our challenges in life mm -hmm. basically is whether we take more risk or we play it, you know, comfortably. If we yep. persevere, do we see problems and challenges as a growth opportunity, like you said, mm -hmm. or do we shrink at those and try to avoid failure at all costs? And, um, man, I, I, some great books there that you mentioned. Um, so wrapping this up, what's a tool or gadget that's contributed to your success that listeners could purchase? 
That's a great question. You know, I, that's a, a tool or gadget for sure. For me, uh, you know, it's the iPhone. <laughs> uh, everyone has one, so I, you don't have to go out and rush out and make a purchase. But the the ability to have that access to that much information at your fingertips is yeah. life changing. And so, you know, I would say that that tool or gadget has enabled me to learn more at a faster rate than what I would have ever imagined before. It's where I consume a lot of my audiobooks, my podcasts. So while it's a gadget that I think everyone has, I think that we should all take the time to appreciate the fact that that didn't exist, you know, uh, 30 years ago. And the yeah, access we were to looking at encyclopedias, y'all. That's right. You're all, that's if you right. were in the airport and you want to learn something new or something came up in the newspaper you're reading, you'd have to wait till you get back to school or the house to figure out to look it up and then you only get like a little sliver and now you yep. just pull your phone out i mean let's stand in awe of that and you can go deep on anything that's right and that's the thing about i'm like used to be you could look things up but you'd be getting like a paragraph or two and now if you want to what do you want to learn about i mean it's just out there there's just too much even now you mentioned you're an exercise addict. I can't let you, let you get out of here. What, All right. what is your go-to exercise routine? Well, I'm a long time meathead. So I've, I've been in the gym for, uh, longer than I'll care to admit on air. Uh, so I'm, you know, I lift four days a week and, um, nice. I, I hate running with a passion. Um, but I've started running, uh, th three days a week. So I'm starting to put in, you know, a lot of miles here recently running, um, and again, it's, it's just, it's my, it's my, it's as much about my a mental reprieve as it is a physical benefit for me. Mm -hmm. The, the, the 30 minutes or an hour that I exercise every day, it's kind of my Zen moment. And it's the moment that I can detach from all the things that I have going on in life. Uh, it's time for me. I can pause and think and reflect. I can learn. Um, so there's a, there is definitely a tangible physical benefit to it, but for me, it's as much uh, for the mental benefit as it is anything else. Um, yeah. so that, yeah, that's my, that's my typical schedule. I, I try to, I try to tell myself to take a day off every week. I'm not great at that. You can ask my wife. She's, uh, she, she would agree. Um, but I, I try to, you know, at least gear it down a little bit one day. A are week. you, are you doing like free weights? Are you doing high intensity interval training or, or, or machines yeah. or what are you doing? Everything? I, yeah, I do. I, you know, I, uh, I still have a kind of a split that I work in terms of the way that I work out body parts, but I I've started as I, I've gotten older, I do a lot more cross-functional movement. So, you know, more body weight stuff, pull-ups and uh, mm -hmm. things of that nature combined with the run. So there, there's some high intensity interval training, a lot of weightlifting and recently uh, a lot of, uh, you know, mid distance running. So we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah, that's but, uh, great. I'm enjoying that's it for now. That's great. Yeah. Uh, do you do like sprinting or are you talking about several miles? Let's more several like miles. Usually. Training, yeah, you, usually it's, you know, a three, a three or four mile jog or, and then in some days I'll try to, to peel that down a little less distance and a little faster pace, but. You know, it sounds like you're in the habit of exercise, which I think is such a healthy habit. And I think it's so easy for people to get out of that habit as they get further in your career because you have more responsibilities, right? You have a lot more responsibilities now probably than you had 10 years ago, but it sounds like you've been able to make it a priority and maintain it. Um, even with the, uh, more responsibility. And I think it's, it's such a great thing to be able to sharpen the saw, you know, to quote Stephen Covey there on, uh, for yourself during your work yet, because sometimes working out can feel unproductive for a lot of leaders. So like I should be in the office. I should be taking that call. 
And uh, there are ways to weave it together. It sounds like you weave in a lot of professional development too through audiobooks and yeah, you know, you're listening to Jocko. And yeah, while uh, that's I'm like preparing your mind while you prepare your body. Yeah, I'm listening to Jocko while I'm deadlifting. So that's uh, <laughs> yeah, dead, he, yeah, he loves that stuff, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he's yeah, that's a great podcast too. The, the, a little dark the at it, times, a little dark at times. Yeah. Jocko, you know, he goes long, but man, yeah. he he's deep and he um you know, it's a great teacher. So it, yeah, it's a three hour commitment to listen to one of those, but it's uh it's it's you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned and and a lot of the the guests that he has on their stories will make all of your challenges seem minuscule. <laughs> yeah. Know? So uh yeah, it, yeah. it's he, great. And you know, and to your point, the way that a way little trick, my my trick to working out, and you and you're right, the the more uh, the more your career advances, the tougher it is to find the time to do most mm -hmm. everything. I do not give myself an option. So if it's, mm -hmm. if I leave the office at seven 30 at night and I get home at eight, I will go, I will work out before I go to bed. I do not go to bed without a workout. So Committed. Uh, that's, that's the only way to do it. Uh, and I'll, you know, I, I just do not leave that as an option unless it's a planned scheduled off day. Otherwise, I would, there's, that's a slippery slope that I would easily slide down. I think it totally is. I was working out three to four days a week before the pandemic, the pandemic hit and gyms got a little wonky and I was going early and then they closed and I got out of the habit of that. And I was doing a lot of stuff at home, but I'm still not in the same, you know, two years in, I'm still not at that same rigor that I had before. And, uh, it is, it is tough. And so if you can maintain it and string those days together, I mean, it, it it'll pay off. And, yeah, and the I, good news, the good news for you, Ben, is you got an opportunity to make that climb back. That's, that's, that's the good news. That's right. This is see that y'all thought y'all always think that the podcast interviews are for you and then they are, but they're also for me because <laughs> I get, I always get something good and I'm getting a dose of Dan motivation today. Dan, thank you for that, sir. <laughs> And for everything, I think we covered a lot of great topics today. Um, so parting thought. No, I just thank you very much for the opportunity to, to, to join you today. It's a, it's a pleasure to meet you. I appreciate uh, having some time with your audience and uh, really well done. And you're one of the podcasts that I listen to when I'm out exercising. Woo. So uh, keep up the great work. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.